Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, June 15th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke, joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to chat about the U.S. Open and take a look at the NHL playoffs here on today's show. Over at ATS.io, got a preview up for you of the U.S. Open. There are some very good offers out there as well. A good offer, bet $1, win $100 over at DraftKings Sportsbook. If Bryson DeChambeau makes a birdie in this tournament, you can read about that over at ATS.io. And of course, sign up through ATS.io for an account over at DraftKings Sportsbook to get a special sign-up bonus. Uh, Also a good offer that I'll be writing up later on today from William Hill Sportsbook with some good odds boosts for the U.S. Open as well. Daily MLB article posted every day. I'll have NASCAR thoughts for you here for later in the week. believe there's another UFC event this week, so I'll be previewing that. Tons of stuff going on over at the website for you to check out. Make sure you do that. And uh, as a side note, ordered Phil Steele's magazine yesterday. So college football coming here very, very quickly. We've done some NFL stuff. Brian's done some videos for us over on our ATS YouTube page as well. So we'll be rolling out some more football content here over the next few weeks over at ATS.io. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, a really helpful resource for you. It'll help you with your handicapping with a stats database. You can track your bets, look at a U.S. odds screen because those are kind of tough to find out there. A lot of helpful handicapping resources in that ATS app, so make sure you check that out today. With that, we bring on today's guest, and that is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam, how you doing, bud? Getting ready for the U.S. Open. Should be good fun. Should be a lot of good fun. Our second U.S. Open here in nine months. And, of course, uh, good debut last night in the, we'll call it the conference finals. It's really not the final four for the Vegas Golden Knights. So I know you had a late night, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But let's go ahead and start with the U.S. Open here. The uh, third of the four majors for 2021, the fourth of five majors for this 2020-21 PGA Tour season and Torrey Pines is a course that a lot of guys know very well I mean this is a course they play annually for the Farmers Insurance Open but it's going to play differently here being a U.S. Open Brian yeah it certainly is Uh, although it's kind of a mixed bag it's not across the board where the rough has the elevated rough some holes a handful of holes the ball's gone. It just disappears. Then there are elevated tiers of the rough. First cut, a, another tough cut, and then a thicker cut. But in some of the holes, the ball actually sits up a little bit where guys can maybe still get like a six iron on it and and really advance it and maybe even get it to a green. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag, and I think to a degree, a little bit of a learning curve, how we're going to watch and, and bet on this. But it is a U.S. Open. It is Torrey Pines, so we have a lot to go off, basically. Yeah, we really do. I mean, the first U.S. Open at Torrey Pines since 2008. Tiger won that in the playoff over Rocco Mediate, and that was one where Tiger won at one under. And we don't see one under as a winning score at the Farmers Insurance Open. So that gives you an idea of how tough this course can play. Something I thought was really interesting, Brian, was that Jonathan Wall, at Jonathan R. Wall on Twitter, he's the equipment editor of Golf Magazine, said that there's been a massive run on seven woods at Torrey Pines. So guys want something with some loft and a fairway metal to give them some distance out of the rough as well. 
I think that's going to be interesting because that's not a club that a lot of guys typically use. So I think it speaks to how the golf course may play, but I think you also have to kind of think about in your handicapping, you know, which players are creative, which players are going to be okay with using a club that maybe they don't use a whole lot. I think that, you know, we talk about, obviously you have to have the physical tools to win a major, but there's a lot of mental acuity and mental handicapping that goes into, you know, something as big as the U S open. Yeah. And you're looking at the winning score. I'm seeing this over at the Superbook, two seventy nine and a half. So what does that tell you? I mean, this, this thing, the USGA can usually name the score and you know, they want it to be around par. Then the one thing you've got here is it's San Diego and you get the marine layer in the morning, but the forecast is sunny skies, 72 degrees every day. So weather is not going to be an issue. The USGA is going to have their meat hooks all over this thing. And believe me, by, well, I think right out of the gate, but by Sunday, huh, linoleum, kitchen floors, these greens. Yeah, that's a really excellent point is that, I mean, there's not going to be any water on this course unless course officials put it on there with, you know, the irrigation system and all of that. So, this thing will play very fast, very firm. And-, and no wind, Adam. You know, when you're in San Diego, right? I mean, probably ne- it's right on the ocean, but basically next to no wind. And, you know, they sometimes if it's a windy venue, they'll take the cautious approach because they can make them so fast. But if it's so windy, sometimes it becomes unplayable. That is not going to be the case here. These things are going to be. I don't know. I couldn't even imagine what they're going to be in a stint meter. I mean, they're going to be lightning. Well, and I think something else that's really important here too, is that guys that hit fairways this week will be able to shorten this course a little bit, because as we said, it'll be fast and firm. You'll get some run. If you can put a drive out of the fairway, if you don't, well, that's where the rough comes into play. And we all know that the rough very penal, generally speaking at the U S open. So you know, maybe driving accuracy, something that you want to take a look at, strokes gained off the tee, all of that. Obviously, approach shots, very important at Torrey Pines. A lot of long holes here with this course. John Rahm, the favorite in that 10.5, 11-to-1 range. Rahm would have won the, mo- the Memorial, popped a positive COVID test, had to leave. Seems like he's fine. He's out of the mandated 10-day isolation period today. So haven't heard anything to the contrary about Rahm, who is your favorite. Bryson DeChambeau, who won at Wingfoot, uh, what was that, back in August, September, uh, whenever that was, 15 to 1. Dustin Johnson, Xander Schauffele, also 15 to 1. These numbers coming from DraftKings, as always, shop around for the best prices. But basically, anybody who's anybody is in this field, Brian, which means you get some very good players in that 40 to 1 range, like a Ty Hatton, a Louis Oosthuizen, who's been a runner up twice here lately. Abraham answer was playing very well till he missed the cut. I believe at the Memorial Paul Casey's in great form at 45 to one. Even a guy like Daniel Berger is 55 to one this week. So what's kind of your approach where this is an elite field, but you've got some pretty good players at some longer numbers. Yeah. It's, you know, this is not the Palmetto championship, right? I mean, we're sitting here looking at, I think U S open history makes sense. A lot of guys, you know, have track records. Curtis Strange won multiples. Lee Jansen, Kepka. So I went for a couple of guys on the front end. Woodland and Rose, past champions. Uh, Rose at 40. And Woodland, 
His form has gotten a little better. He, he was pretty prominent in the PGA Championship. 65 to 1, I think, is a pretty good price uh, on Gary Woodland. And then you're nuts not to put a, a couple of bucks on Mark Leishman. Mark, Mark Leishman shows up in majors, and Mark Leishman is very good at Torrey Pines. That's almost a no-brainer. I think the cat's out of the bag, although hard to fathom they're giving you 60 to 1 when we decided, you know, he plays well in majors and at Torrey Pines. That's a really nice price on Leishman. And then just for a couple of bucks, because every now and again, when the guy's game is on, he's unbelievable. That 100 to 1 just put a, put a few bucks on Siwoo Kim. And after that, it's like sit down, watch, maybe play some matchups, and then really get a read on this thing after a couple of rounds. You mentioned Justin Rose, won here in 2019. That was, of course, the Farmers Insurance Open, not the U.S. Open. But Justin Rose won the U.S. Open back in 2013. That was at Marion Golf Club out in Pennsylvania. Uh, Gary Woodland, as you said, you know, a guy that plays well in majors. Mark Leishman, another guy that plays well, especially at Torrey Pines here, where Leishman won the Farmers in 2020. Two-time runner-up, couple other top 10 finishes. Uh, Ryan Palmer is a guy that plays well here if you're looking for kind of a longer shot on the board with a big price. He's in the 160 to 1 range. Shop around, as always, for the best prices here. But I have to say this, Brian. I keep looking at this board, and I know the price is short, but I have to take Colin Morikawa this week. He's in that 25 to 1 range. Best iron player on the planet. Hits a bunch of fairways, which is really good here at Torrey Pines because – you know, you're going to get a lot of guys that wind up in the rough, maybe have to take that lofted medal that we talked about already, maybe decide to lay up, something like that. If Morikawa is putting drives in the fairways, he has the chance to attack these flags. And that's something I think is going to be really important here for this tournament, where two putt pars will be fine. You know, a two putt par on a par five will be fine, just based on the pin placements and how this course is expected to play. So I have to take a piece of Morikawa this week. Again, I know it's a short price in a loaded field, but I have to take him. And one other guy that I looked at here, and I'm seeing 75 to one at DraftKings, and there are probably some better prices out there even. Corey Connors is a guy that is a tremendous ball striker. And he's not in great form recently, but you know he's been pretty good overall. 10th in driving accuracy, 12th in strokes gain T to green. The putting has been the question for him, but he's been average or better for the most part this season i think as a ball striker connor's at 75 to 1 is worth a look as well i you listen i am i'm going through this you're talking i'm looking at other guys and everybody everything you said the the only thing i worry about with morikawa is the putting every you know when he's now with that claw grip the putting gets at times a little sketchy and if we're talking how fast these greens are going to be but but you're right. I mean, you know, the price is low in the same vein. Xander Shoffley's from that neck of the woods. You can take a look at it. I mean, what do we – we haven't even mentioned Kepka at 18-1. to 1. After the PGA Championship, we know this guy's mindset and the way he plays in majors. DeChambeau, I don't know. He hits it a million miles. And maybe he can gouge it out of the rough. And he's a factor. We can go so deep. We haven't mentioned – Justin Thomas, I don't, you know, can he hit the fairways enough? You're right. I, I agree with you. Casey's a good driver of the golf ball. We can make a case for a lot of guys. Brian Harmon, 
us having a good year at 125 to one. It's you can only play so many on the front end before you're just you know you're you're betting against yourself. And you know, Louis Oosthuizen in majors, Matsuyama wins the Masters. It's an incredible you know field on uh, an incredible venue and how they set the course up. And and I really do believe seeing the setup. And how guys are dealing with it early on is still going to give us some really good price plays heading into the weekend. One more I'm taking a peek at going, oh, how did I leave this guy off? Webb Simpson, 55 to 1. I mean, there's a guy can putt. And he's a former U.S. Open winner. So I, that was kind of my starting point. It was former U.S. Open winners, Leishman at Tory Pines. And guys who can, well, you got to hit the fairway and you got to be able to roll the rock. It, it's a it's a pretty challenging, it's going to be a, I love watching them struggle. That's the thing. It's going to be a great event. You got to have a short game. Yeah, absolutely. Webb Simpson winning at the Olympic Club back in 2012 out in San Francisco. So he's won a U.S. Open out in California here already. Uh, you know, as you said, you, know, you look at some of these guys and, and you you can make a case for so many of them. You wonder about Kepka. you know, the miscut last week at the Palmetto. Did he care about that event? We kind of talked about that on last week's show of, was he just going out there to get 36 holes worth of swings or was he going to actively try and, you know, make it to the weekend and all of that? I think he just wanted to put his body through getting some swings. So I don't think he really cared too much about whether or not he'd play well there. Dustin Johnson, we wondered the same thing, but then DJ was second after 36 holes, finished 10th, his first top 10 finish since February. So he took it a little bit more seriously. The one guy that I want to mention here, and I'm not going to bet him, I don't have the heart to do it, but I swear to God, if he's in the running on Sunday, I will be pulling for him as hard as possible unless he's in there with Morikawa or something like that. There are a lot of people taking the plunge here this week with Tony Finau. And Tony Finau is a guy that plays extremely well at Torrey Pines. Runner-up in January, 6th in 2020, Top 15 four straight times at this course. Top 25 in all seven of his starts at Torrey Pines. I don't know if he can do it on Sunday. There's no way I would bet on him to do it. But, man, if he's in that position, I'm going to hope like hell that he gets it done. Yeah, and without trying to be mean or sound like a punk, if if he's in there on Sunday, they should hang a number over under three and a half missed putts inside eight feet. You know, I mean, that's what he does on Sundays. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and you it's, know, I mean, I, that's you what know. we talked about. That's what I talked about earlier. It's it's as much physical and, and as much about the tools and the skill set as it is mental, especially when you get the carnage day on Saturday. And then if you're staring down, you know, the lead or the title on Sunday, I mean, that, that mental side is so challenging. No, this thing's a grind. But the, the thing that's always nuts, and I wonder, though, most majors, they thin the herd, you know, and you get down to, you know, three, four contenders. If par or one over par, if this is what they're looking at, you know, might you have an opportunity for someone who's, you know, four or five back to go post a score. And then by late afternoon, those greens get crusty, you know, and, and guys unravel and implode. Remember, like Jeff, Jeff Ogilvy was in the clubhouse. Uh, when he won it so just seeing how the course itself's got it because we know Torrey Pines but it's not the Torrey Pines we're accustomed to and believe me we all remember Tiger Woods and Rocco Mediate but honestly 
I don't remember that much about how the course played. You know, it's almost like it's a reboot for me. Yeah, no, that, that's completely fair. And and again, much to your chagrin, I, I hate to do this to you by mentioning it on the show, but you know, for those that are not in the state of Nevada, where you do have legal sports betting, you know, or or whatever other channels you may use, uh, you know, top twenty, top ten, top thirty, uh, all the group matchup stuff that's out there, props to make or miss the cut, stuff like that, all kinds of different ways to attack this tournament here, where. Brian and I have thrown out a lot of different names to be sure, but you know, there are some guys where you might want to play them in matchups, you know, maybe, maybe you don't like Tony Finau to win, but you think he'll play better than Patrick Cantlay, or, you know, maybe you've got a feeling on Abraham answer and Will Zalatoris, which is a really interesting matchup listed over at DraftKings, Paul Casey and Matthew Fitzpatrick, a lot of different matchup opportunities out there as well that, yeah, it's hard to pick the winner of this tournament with what, 156 players or whatever and basically all the best in the world but you can still find matchups group matchups other props other ways of making money this weekend well and again like from the odds makers point of view trying to figure this thing out Mickelson who's going for the career grand slam wins the PGA we know this would be a focus for him he had got an exemption into this and then he wins the PGA so he gets five more tries at it at the US Open but he's getting a try at it. Of course, he's always, you know, he's had great moments at Mickelson is minus a dime either way to make the cut. Yeah. Does he make the cut? What do you think? It's a coin. It is. It's a coin flip. A lot of guys, when they win a major, right? It's like the air's out of the balloon and the season's a success. And sometimes they disappear. I don't think that's the case with Mickelson because this is the one he really wants more than any, what what is it? I should know. Is, is it six runner up finishes? Uh, I believe it is. You know, he's I mean, got a, he's got quite a few. I know that his first runner up, nineteen ninety nine. I mean, this dude's been good for a long time. What an amazing um, career! Well, all right. If if Tiger Woods wasn't around, Phil Mickelson's Tiger Woods. Okay, I, I'll uh, give you that. I, I don't. I I think Tiger's well, dominance is, is kind of what sets them apart. But but I, I, my point true. is, if Tiger Woods is okay, but if Tiger Woods wasn't there in all those years, Mickelson's probably got five more majors. Yeah, I I think it's a fair argument to make. Yeah, I it, it's amazing because like the guy came out of nowhere to win the PGA Championship. It's not like he was in great form or anything like that. I mean, you know, he's still got, he still puts the ball out there too, which I think is probably the most impressive and maybe most underrated part of Phil's game. We know he's good with the irons. We know he's an exceptional wedge player, maybe the best sand player still on tour, but he's still able to get it out there three bills when he wants to. And, you know, the, the game is tailored so much to distance now at so many of these courses and probably will be for the most part here this weekend at Torrey Pines as well. I think the fact that Phil has not only hung around and been effective but also is able to drive the golf ball the way that he is, at least from a distance standpoint, I think that's probably the most impressive attribute to me. You know, hey, listen, that PGA Championship thing, I mean, it's a great story, and, you know, but then you get on Sunday, and the, but then to actually hang in there in, in, you know, the sand shot, that, and then there's that sense of belief, and he got jump-started again. 
and the back class kicked in. So I, it was a remarkable. Story. It wasn't Tom Watson at the British Open, but it wasn't real far from it. You know, it was like, can he really do this? But we've seen guys like we've seen Kenny Perry uh, at the Masters. We've seen old guys hang in there, but they, they can't kick the door down. Old guy, 50. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it'll be fun to watch, man. I, I, I hope it. It'd be an incredible weekend if he was somewhere near the leaderboard. So real quickly, I want to ask you about this, because first of all, I want to give you props. You had Garrick Higo on the show last week. That was a nice call for you down at the Palmetto. But I'm seeing Higo here plus 105 to miss the cut at the U.S. Open. And I think this is interesting because we weren't sure how Congaree was going to play last week. It played relatively tough. It was a pretty good challenge for the players. But, you know, Garrick Higo... Winning a couple of tournaments on the European tour, usually those setups are a little bit more generous. The fields are clearly nowhere near as strong as most PGA Tour events, let alone a major. Would you take a chance on him to miss the cut this week? I, I'd stay away. I would just say this. The guy's on a flat-out roll. He wins the two European Tour events. He comes over. I actually, mid-tournament, at the PGA Championship, I actually put a couple of bucks on Higo. He was, uh, I don't know, he was maybe only three back. He made the cut at the PGA. And then, you think of this kid. He, he wins the two European Tour events, comes over in his second PGA Tour regular event. He wins. He is now, I mean, the, the Zalatoris, right? The Zalatoris, he's not a PGA Tour member. Higo wins this tournament. He's a PGA Tour member for the next two years. When's he going back to the European Tour? I mean, this, you talk about life-changing and a guy on a dead run that's coming in here feeling like a million bucks. You know, I he's playing great. You can make the case, you know, I mean, you certainly Hadley lost it, but so did Bo Van Pelt. Um, there are a bunch of guys spit the bit. The shot that Higo hit, I, mean, I think it was on 16 on Sunday. He's in the one of those sandy waste areas underneath a tree, and he hits this low little punch shot, and it spins and stops 15 feet, and he makes it for par. You know, you can say the other guy's lost it, but he won the tournament right there, and he, he got the easy par in 18 when everybody else was unraveling. Well, it should be a whole lot of fun here for the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines this week. Again, as I said, I've got a preview over at ATS.io and a lot of good thoughts here from Brian and I on today's segment. I'm sure Brian will be talking about it more on his show as well, Sportsbook Radio, uh, over the next couple of days here. But Brian, let's go over to the NHL playoff side of things here. And let's start with the, for lack of a better term, the Eastern Conference Final, where we've got the Islanders and the Lightning here in this Final Four. Islanders taking game one by a score of two to one, basically the kind of game that the Islanders want to play, sort of put Tampa Bay on notice a little bit here. Uh, what did you see from game one, and, and what do you think we'll see here tonight in game two where Tampa Bay is favored up in the minus 190 range? Well, Barry Trotz is a mad scientist. I mean, he's unbelievable. Against Boston, they went for it. They did not play the way the Islanders normally play, and they were producing offense. They said, our four lines can beat your one line. And they went for it and beat them. Well, that's not going to work against Tampa Bay. So he goes back to being the Islanders and frustrates the heck out of the Islanders, and they win the first game 2-1. Uh, 
That being said, tonight, big price on Tampa. Tampa Bay, you know, they they don't want to. They probably – I won't say they can't because this team's good. But I would think they throw the sink at them. I'm going to zigzag it back and go over five and a half, which maybe is a big leap of faith. I'm a big – like last, last night, listen, get the Garrick here, go in. I got no no beef. I got over five and a half. All, everybody I talk to, under, under, under. It's, you know, sitting on 4-1. Canadians pull the goalie with 4.30 left and don't get a goal. 4.30 of an empty net. Can't get the goal to get it over. I like the game to go over tonight. I, I think Tampa Bay is going to really open it up. And if they can get a league, then the, the Isles will have to open things up. So if Tampa Bay gets off to a fast start, I do. I kind of like the game to go over. It's like plus $1.30 to go over five and a half. Well, and in terms of looking here at what we saw from an analytics standpoint in game one, very even at five on five. The Islanders scored the only two five on five goals. Tampa Bay scored a power play goal in the last minute of the game to avoid the shutout. Scoring chances 29 to 20 in favor of Tampa Bay. High danger chances nine to eight in favor of the Islanders. And I think what's really interesting, and, and the numbers kind of bear this out as well as having you know watched the game and put some eyes on it, the biggest thing about Tampa Bay and the thing that I've always been impressed with, and you know, I went a few years ago to a couple of Tampa Bay and, and Columbus Blue Jackets games, not in the playoff series, but I love sitting high up for hockey games because you can watch everything develop. You can kind of watch everything across all three zones and all of that. And the thing that I was consistently struck by is how good Tampa Bay is off the rush, how impressive their transition game is how they move the puck up the ice, how they utilize their speed in such a controlled manner, get the other team on their heels, and then have a bunch of attack zone time or just get scoring chances off the rush. The Islanders didn't allow them to do any of that in game one. So from a Tampa Bay standpoint, what do you try to do to open up the game here? Do you go with some more high-risk stretch passes and sort of try to get behind the defenseman, kind of create that two-on-one on one side of the ice, something like that? Do you try to attack with more speed? Do you play all north-south instead of a little bit of east-west? I'm really curious to see how the Lightning actually adjust here to what the Islanders want to do to ugly up the game, to slow the game down, because New York had great success with it in game one. Well, I mean, all these teams are versatile enough and have the skilled players that can do it, and at this point, it's about will and determination. The fancy stuff will come if you're playing with the lead. So, I mean, I think the adjustment is pretty simple. We watched Colorado in the middle of the series. It took them two and a half games to do it. I go, why are, Why won't they change? They finally did, and they should have won game five and had a big shot in game six. But you got to dump it in. Get to the red line and dump it in. Go get it. You know, ugly the game up. Get Maybe get a couple of penalties. Get a power play goal, and then you open the, you open the Islanders up if you can get ahead of them. So... Don't be trying to go coast to coast and turn the puck over and the Islanders get a goal and that, then they shut it down. You know, you've got to dump the puck in. Keep it simple. Stay out of the box. Dump the puck in until you get the lead, and then the opportunities will come. Tampa Bay minus 165 here in the first period, plus 150 on the minus half a goal. So essentially the first period puck line. Sounds like you think that maybe Tampa Bay is going to put forth a really concerted effort to play from in front in this game. I mean, as I said, they didn't score a goal until the final minute of game one. 
So you think maybe the minus dollar sixty-five for the first period, or maybe that little minus half a goal puck line worth a look? Uh the minus half a goal I would do. Yeah, I I you know, in hockey to me, I I'm just adverse to, you know, lay, laying juice and it's certainly not a dollar sixty-five. But like I said, I, I think a little flyer on the plus price on the over. I like that minus a half uh, in the first period. What was that? That was plus plus a dollar fifty. Yeah. Oh, I like yes, I like that. So let me ask you this, here. and I and I'm a big fan for the Islanders. I mean, honestly, uh, uh, you know, we're betting. I'm rooting for the Islanders. I I think they're they're a fun team to watch. And the irony of all ironies is, is Vegas makes it back to the finals, and they're going to run into Barry Trotz again. Yeah, I Barry Trotz is a wizard, man. It, it's very impressive what he's able to do basically year in and year out, too. I know that it took Washington a while to get over the hump with him, but what were they thinking letting him go? That's the most know. ridiculous thing ever. I don't know, but their loss, certainly the Islanders gain here. I do want to ask you about this real quickly. It has no bearing on the series, and it, it, it kind of is what it is, but Carolina, very upset, very vocal after the series, basically saying, look, I mean, we played a team that was $18 million over the salary cap. And obviously there's no salary cap in the playoffs. Players aren't paid for the playoffs. They just kind of get their share for advancing or whatever else. But what do you think about that? I mean, is that something that changes here, kind of the playoff cap circumvention that we saw from Tampa Bay this season? Yeah, at some point. But Carolina shut up. I mean – you knew it on the front end, then you're going to whine about it on the back end, please. Um, but Vegas did the same thing. But Vegas, and not to that degree, Vegas played. It, actually, that approach, to a degree, you could say cost Vegas the President's Trophy, which doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot of it, some bucks to the players. The game that decided the President's Trophy, they played Colorado. They were three men short because of the, because of the cap. But now the playoffs hit, and they got all these guys. Vegas is getting healthy. Vegas is the healthiest they've ever been. Usually you get worn down and beat up. These guys are getting guys back and fresh as a daisy. So, yeah, at some point I think the league has to look at it. I don't know if after a certain point, if a guy's on LTIR, you know, I don't know, say you can't, I don't know if you eliminate him for the playoffs, but there's an X amount of time or games that he couldn't play in the playoffs. I don't know how they do it, but it's going to be an issue because the cap's going nowhere. All right, so let's take a look here at this Montreal-Vegas series and and a very interesting game one in a lot of ways because when you look at what happened in the first period at five-on-five, Montreal outshooting Vegas 11-5, to yet at five-on-five, 11 scoring chances to four, seven high-danger chances to one in the first period for Montreal. So they actually got off to a pretty good start and wound up going to the room down one-nothing with Shea Theodore's goal and Shea Theodore with a monster game last night. The other two periods, Vegas holds a nine to one edge in high danger chances, 15 to three in scoring chances at five on five. It's almost like Vegas took Montreal's best in the first period. Somehow it still wasn't good enough. And then Vegas coasts to the four to one win. You know, Montreal came out of the gate. They had some jump to their game, had some really good opportunities. Vegas started to wear them down a little bit. But, I mean, Montreal's got some big boys, too. Anderson was flying around, Gallagher. I don't want to overreact to game one. I And it was hard for me. I said Vegas in five. And 
I mean, I believed in Montreal against Toronto. I mean, before the series, everybody thought Toronto was going to walk over them. I said, this is going deep. I thought it was going to go seven. I thought Toronto would win. But Montreal, good for them, and they're here. It's only a game. They were off for a while. And, you know, the, the one thing about it, you went to the third period. It was a two-goal lead. Price had kept them in it. And if Montreal would have got a goal early in the third period, all of a sudden it's a game. I just think Vegas, their depth, and this was what we had said before the game yesterday, It okay, it happened. But Vegas has gotten this far, and Shea Theodore has been – he's not been bad. He's been good defensively, and he's you know getting some assists and everything, but nothing much from the goal-scoring thing. If Theodore starts jumping in the play the way he did in the bubble last year when he was their best player, and Petrangelo's really playing good now, if, the, if, they, if Theodore goes off here a little bit, I mean, look out. Because Vegas, if you can generate offense from the blue line, the Carlson, March, so Smith line's been really good. Stone and Pacioretty are ever dangerous. But it's the offense from the blue line. And last night, Holden, Martinez, and Theodore, Vegas' defense activating and getting goals from the blue line, that's a big deal for Vegas. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, Montreal, eight shots on goal in the final two periods at five on five. That's clearly not going to get it done. And one of the other things I saw on Twitter here today, and I can't remember who tweeted it, but Vegas's defenseman in this game had 18 shots on goal, not a single shot on goal recorded for Montreal's defense. So Vegas just, you know, a lot of attack zone time for them in the last two periods of the game. As you mentioned, the defenseman getting a lot more involved. Flurry was good when he had to be. Price played well enough, but just, you know, constantly under pressure, constantly, you know, in the crouch, in the butterfly, just a lot of things happening around him. The question is here, Brian, how, how do things go any differently in game two here, where, you know, Vegas, a $2.50 favorite, so minus 250. Total for this game sitting five with the under juiced pretty heavily. Montreal gave Vegas probably their maybe their best period of the series in the first period didn't score lost the game four to one Vegas kind of woke up a little bit after that I mean I don't know how game two goes any differently well there's one big thing and it's kind of similar to what we said about the Islanders I do think the Canadians are kind of a poor man's version of the Islanders and that is might the game have been different had Montreal scored one of those goals early so in Montreal's and basically the entire playoffs, Montreal has been playing with the lead. So how does the game change? Montreal gets the first goal. That's how the game changes. And is, is that possible out of the gate? Sure. I mean, I'm not going to overreact to the one game Montreal off for a little while. Hey, by the way, there's the first game. These guys played in front of a full arena, <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh my God, listen to this. And they weren't intimidated by it at all. I, I I didn't think Montreal played that poorly. One thing that Montreal was missing, and we'll see if he's able to come back in game two here on Thursday night, Jeff Petrie didn't play for Montreal, and he's a big part of what they do, both offensively and defensively, but especially there in the defensive zone. And as I said, you know, a lot of attacks on time for Vegas, the cycle, the defensive shots on goal, all that kind of thing. Uh, that's something that you know maybe Petrie can kind of change a little bit. We'll see if he's able to come back here in game two. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. A lot of good thoughts on today's show, as always. And you have a lot of good thoughts on your shows as well. Oh, it's a crazy week, but this is going to be fun. I know you're going to join us, uh, as you always do. We love having you on. 
the show. It's Sportsbook Radio, 2 to 4 Eastern, Sirius 204 Sports Grid Radio Network. And then Vegas Hockey Hotline, uh, great hockey guest. We had John Forslund who called the game on, who called the game last night. He was on with us yesterday. Uh, we're going to be bouncing around the league with great guests. And it's not just the Golden Knights series. We'll talk about the Islanders and the Lightning. And I'm telling you, Adam, as we're winding down here, you got Seattle coming in and then draft day. And there are a lot of big-name guys. They're going to be blockbuster deals uh, this offseason. It's going to be short and really active in hockey. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And it'll be a lot of fun to join you on Thursday once again this week there uh, on Sportsbook Radio. Brian Blessing, make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Brian Blessing. Always a treat to chat with you, man. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll talk to you later in the week, and our listeners will hear from me again next week. Adam, you're the best, bud. Have a good day. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again, at Brian Blessing on Twitter, Sportsbook Radio, Vegas Hockey Hotline on the Sports Grid Radio Network. Coming up on Thursday, new edition of the Betters Box. Plenty to talk about. MLB allegedly, officially cracking down on substances. I'll talk about that and all sorts of other happenings around the Major League Baseball world. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Thursday.